0: Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon once preached by Charles Spurgeon. This message is from a collection of Spurgeon messages created by Perry Boardman. They're known as Spurgeon's Gems. Today's message is from Volume 1. It's the last message in Volume 1. There are many volumes, but this is the end of volume one. It's number 53. It's entitled Healing for the Wounded from Psalm 147, verse 3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Well, the verse finally declares the power of God. He telleth the number of the stars, He calleth them all by their names. Perhaps there is nothing which gives us a nobler view of the greatness of God than a contemplation of the starry heavens. When by night we lift up our eyes and behold him who has created all things. When we remember that he brings out their host by number, calls them all by their names, and that by the greatness of his power not one fails. Indeed, after that we adore a mighty God and our soul naturally falls prostrate in reverential awe before the throne of him who leads the host of heaven and marshals the stars in their armies. But the psalmist has here placed another fact side by side with this wondrous act of God. He declares that the same God who leads the stars, who tells the number of them and calls them by their names, heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. The next time you rise to some idea of God by viewing the starry floor of His magnificent temple above, strive to compel your contemplation to this thought, that the same mighty hand which rolls the stars along puts liniments around the wounded heart. That the same being who spoke the worlds into existence and now impels those ponderous globes through their orbits does in his mercy cheer the wounded and heal the broken in heart. We will not delay you by a preface, but will come at once to the two thoughts. First, here is a great ill, a broken heart, and secondly, a great mercy. He healeth the broken in heart, and bindeth up their wounds. Man is a double being. He is composed of body and soul, and each of the portions of man may receive injury and hurt. The wounds of the body are extremely painful, and if they amount to a breaking of the frame, the torture is singularly exquisite. Yet God has in His mercy provided means whereby wounds... may be healed and injuries repaired. The soldier who retires from the battlefield knows that he shall find a hand to extricate the shot and certain ointments and liniments to heal his wounds. We very speedily care for bodily diseases. They are too painful to let us slumber in silence, and they soon urge us to seek a physician or a surgeon for our healing. Oh, if only we were as much alive to the more serious wounds of our inner man. If we were as deeply sensible of spiritual injuries, how earnestly should we cry to the beloved physician? And how soon should we prove his power to save? Stabbed in the most vital part by the hand of our original parent, and from head to foot disabled by our own sin— We yet remain as insensible as steel, careless and unmoved, because though our wounds are known, they are not felt. We should count that soldier foolish who would be more anxious to repair a broken helmet than an injured limb. Are not we even more to be condemned when we give precedence to the perishing fabric of the body and neglect the immortal soul You, however, who have broken hearts can no longer be insensible. You have felt too acutely to slumber in indifference. Your bleeding spirit cries for consolation, and may my glorious Master give me a word in season for you. We attend to address you upon the important subject of broken hearts and the great healing provided for them. Let us commence with the great ill, a broken heart. What is it? We reply there are several forms of a broken heart. Some are what we call naturally broken, and some are spiritually so. We will occupy a moment by mentioning certain forms of this evil, naturally considered. And verily, our task would be a dreary one if we were called upon to witness one-tenth of the misery endured by those who suffer from a broken heart. There have been hearts broken by desertion. A wife has been neglected by a husband who was once the subject of her attachment and whom even now she tenderly loves. Scorned and despised by the man who once lavished upon her every token of his affection, she has known what a broken heart means. A friend is forsaken by one upon whom he leaned to whose very soul he was knit, so that their two hearts had grown into one. He feels that his heart is broken, for the other half of himself is severed from him. When Ahithophel forsakes David, when the kind friend unto whom we have always told our sorrows betrays our confidence, the consequence may possibly be a broken heart. The desertion of a man by his fellows, the ingratitude of children to their parents, the unkindness of parents to their children, the betrayal of secrets by a comrade, the changeableness and fickleness of friends, along with other modes of desertion which happen in this world, have brought about broken hearts. We know not a more fruitful source of broken hearts than disappointment in the objects of our affections to find that we have been deceived, where we have placed our confidence. It is not simply that we leaned upon a broken reed, and the reed has snapped, that were bad enough, but in the fall we fell upon a thorn, which pierced our heart to its center. Many have there been who have gone to their graves, not smitten by disease, not slain by the sword, but with a far direr wound than the sword could ever give, a more desperate death than poison could ever cause. May you never know such agony. We've also seen hearts broken by bereavement. We have known tender wives who have laid their husbands in the tomb and who have stood by the graveside until their very heart did break for solitary anguish. We have seen parents bereaven of their beloved offspring, one after another. And when they have been called to hear the solemn words, earth to earth, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, over the last of their children, they have turned away from the grave, bidding adieu to joy, longing for death, and abhorring life. To such the world becomes a prison, cheerless, cold, unutterably miserable, The owl and bittern seem alone to sympathize with them, and aught of joy in the whole world appears to be but but intended as a mockery to their misery. Divine grace, however, can sustain them even here. How frequently might this be supposed to occur to our brave countrymen engaged in the present war? Do not they feel, and acutely feel, the loss of their comrades. You will perhaps imagine that the slaughter and death around them prevent the tender feelings of nature. You are enough mistaken if you so dream. The soldier's heart may never know fear, but it has not forgotten sympathy. The fearful struggle around renders it impossible to pay the usual court and Homage at the gates of sorrow, but there is more of real grief oftentimes in the hurried midnight funeral than in the flaunting pageantry of your pompous possessions and processions. Were it in our power to walk among the tents, we should find abundant need to use the words of our text by way of cordial or medicine to many a warrior who has seen all his chosen companions fall before the destroyer. Oh, you mourners, seek you a balm for your wounds. Let me proclaim it unto you. You are not ignorant of it, I trust. But let me apply that in which you already place your confidence. The God of heaven knows your sorrows. Repair you to his throne and tell your simple tale of woe. Then cast your burden on him. He will bear it. Open your heart before him. He will heal it. Think not that you are beyond hope. You would be if there were no God of love and pity, but while Jehovah lives, the mourner need not despair. Penury, poverty, has also contributed its share to the number of the army of misery, pinching want, a noble desire to walk erect without the crutch of charity, and inability to obtain employment, have at times driven men to desperate measures. Many a goodly cedar has withered for lack of moisture, and so has many a man pined away beneath the deprivations of extreme poverty. Those who are blessed with sufficiency can scarcely guess the pain endured by the sons of want, especially if they have once been rich. And yet, O child of suffering, be patient. God has not passed you over in his providence. Feeder of sparrows, he will also furnish you with what you need. Sit not down in despair. Hope on, hope ever. Take up arms against a sea of troubles, and your opposition shall yet end your distresses. There is one who cares for you. One eye is fixed on you, even in the home of your destitution. One heart beats with pity for your woes. And a hand omnipotent shall yet stretch you out the needed help. The darkest cloud shall yet scatter itself in its season. The blackest gloom shall have its morning. He, if you are one of his family, with bands of grace will bind up your wounds and heal your broken heart. Multiplied also are the cases where disappointment and defeat have crushed the spirits. The soldier fighting for his country may see the ranks broken, but he will not be broken in heart, so long as there remains a single hope for victory. His comrade reels behind him and he he thinks he's wounded but with a shout he cries on, on, and he scales the ramparts, sword in hand. Still he goes carrying terror amongst the foe, himself sustained by the prospect of victory. <clears throat> but let him once hear the shout of defeat, where he hoped for triumph. Let him know that the banner is stained in the earth, that the eagle has been snatched from the standard. Let him once hear it said, they fly, they fly. They let him see the officers and soldiers flying in confusion. Let him be well assured that the most heroic courage and the most desperate valor are of no avail. Then his heart bursts under a sense of dishonor. he is almost content to die because the honor of his country has been tarnished and her glory has been stained in the dust. Of this, the soldiers of Britain know but little May they speedily carve out a peace for us with their victorious swords. Truly in the great conflict of life we can bear anything but defeat. Toils on toils would we endure to climb a summit. But if we must die ere we reached it, that were a brokenness of heart indeed. To accomplish the object on which we have set our minds, we would spend our very heart's blood... But once let us see that our life's purpose is not to be accomplished. Let us, when we hope to grasp the crown, see that it is withdrawn, or other hands have seized it. Then comes brokenness of heart. But let us remember, whether we have been broken in heart by penury or by defeat, that there is a hand which bindeth up the broken in heart, and healeth all their wounds, that even these natural breakings are regarded by Jehovah, who in the plenitude of his mercy gives a balm for every wound to every one of his people. We need not ask, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? There is a balm. There is a physician who can heal all these natural wounds, who can give joy to the troubled countenance, Take the furrow from the brow, wipe the tear from the eye, remove the agitation from the bosom, and calm the heart now swelling with grief. For he healeth the broken in heart, and bindeth up their wounds. But all that we have mentioned of woe and sorrow which the natural heart endures is not sufficient to explain our text. The heart broken not by distress or disappointment, but on account of sin, is the heart which God peculiarly delights to heal. All other sufferings may find a fearful center in one breast, and yet the subject of them may be unpardoned and unsaved. But if the heart be broken by the Holy Ghost for sin, salvation will be its ultimate issue and heaven its result. At the time of regeneration, the soul is subject to an inward work, causing at the time considerable suffering. This suffering does not continue after the soul has learned the preciousness of a Savior's blood, but while it lasts, it produces an effect which is never forgotten in after life. Let none suppose that the pains we are about to describe are the constant companions of an heir of heaven during his entire existence. They're like the torture of a great drunkard at the time of his reformation, rendered needful not by the reformation, but by his old habits. And so this broken heart is felt at the time of that change of which the Bible speaks when it says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The fruit of the Spirit is afterwards joy and peace, but For a season we must, if saved, endure much mental agony. Are any of you at the present moment disturbed in mind and vexed in spirit because you've violated the commands of God? And are you anxious to know whether these feelings are tokens of genuine brokenness and contrition? Hear me then, while I briefly furnish you with tests whereby you may discern the truth and value of your repentance. Test 1. We cannot conceive it possible that you are broken in heart if the pleasures of the world are still your delight. We may consent to call you amiable, estimable, and honorable even should you mix somewhat in the amusements of life. But it would be a treason to your common sense to tell you that such things are consistent with a broken heart. Will any venture to assert that Jan Reveler has a broken heart? Would he not consider it an insult, should you suggest it? Does that lewd song now defiling the air proceed from the lips of a broken-hearted sinner, Can the fountain, when filled with sorrow, send forth such streams as these? No, my friends. The wanton, the lewd, the rioting, and the profane are too wise to lay claim to the title of broken-hearted persons, seeing that their claim would be palpably absurd. They scorn the name as mean and paltry, unworthy of a man who loves free living and counts religion can't, or song, but should there be one of you so entirely deceived by the evil spirit as to think yourself a partaker in the promises while you are living in the lust of the flesh, uh, let me solemnly warn you of your error. He who sincerely repents of sin will hate it and find no pleasure in it. And during the season when his heart is broken he will loathe even t- to detestation the very approach of evil. The song of mirth will then be as a dirge in his ear. As he that poureth vinegar upon nitre, so is he that singeth songs to a sad heart. If the man who makes merry with sin be broken hearted, he must be a prince of hypocrites, for he feigns to be worse than he is. We know right well that the wounded spirit requires other medicine than this world can afford. A soul disturbed by guilt must be lulled to a peaceful rest by other music than carnal pleasures can afford. The tavern, the house of vice, the society of the profligate are no more to be endured by a contrite soul than the jostling of a crowd by a wounded man. Secondly, another test. We will not for one moment allow that a self-righteous man can have a broken heart. Ask him to pray, and he thanks God that he is every way correct. What need has he to weep because of the iniquity of his life? For he firmly believes himself to be well-deserving and far enough removed from guilt. He has attended his religious duties He is exceedingly strict in the form of his devotions, or, if he cares not for such things, he is at any rate quite as good as those who do. He was never in bondage to any man, but can look to heaven without a tear for his sin. Do not conceive that I am painting an imaginary case, for there are, unfortunately, too many of these proud, self-exalting men. Will they be angry with me when I tell them that they are no nearer heaven than those whom we reproved a a few moments ago? Will they not be equally moved to wrath if I were so much as to hint that they need to be broken in heart for their sin? Nevertheless, such is the case. And Pharisees shall one day learn with terror that self-righteousness is hateful to God. But what is A broken heart. I say first that a broken heart implies a very deep and poignant sorrow on account of sin. A broken heart. Conceive of that. If you could look within and see everything going on in this great mystery called man, you would marvel at the wonders thereof. But how much more astonished would you be to see its heart, not merely divided in twain, but split into atoms? You would exclaim, what misery! Must have done this. What a heavy blow must have fallen here. By nature, the heart is of one solid piece, hard as a nether millstone, but when God smites it, it is broken to pieces in deep suffering. Some will understand me when I describe the state of the man who is feeling a sorrow for sin. In the morning, he bends his knees in prayer, but he feels afraid to pray. He thinks it is blasphemy for him to venture near God's throne. And when he does pray at all, he rises with the thought, God cannot hear me, for he hears not sinners. He goes about his business and is perhaps a little diverted. But at every interval, the same black thought rolls upon him, Thou art condemned already. Mark that person. Mark his appearance. A melancholy has rested upon him. At night he goes home, but there's little enjoyment for him in the household. He may smile, but his smile ill conceals the grief which lurks underneath. When again he bends the knee, he fears the shadow of the night. He dreads to be on his bed, lest it should be his tomb. And if he lies awake, he thinks of death, the second death, damnation and destruction, Or if he dreams, he dreams of demons and flames of hell. He wakes again and almost feels the torture of which he dreamed. He wishes in the morning it were evening, and at evening it were night. I loathe my daily food, he says. I I care for nothing, for I have not Christ. I have not mercy. I have not peace. He has set off running on the road to heaven. Then he puts his fingers in his ears and will hear of nothing else. Tell him of a ball or a concert. It's nothing to him. He can enjoy nothing. You might put him in a heaven and it would be a hell to him. Not the chants of the redeemed, not the hallelujahs of the glorified, not the hymns of flaming cherubs would charm woe out of this man so long as he is the subject of a broken heart. Now, I do not say that all must have the same amount of suffering before they arrive at heaven. I'm speaking of some who have this special misery of heart on account of sin. They're utterly miserable. As Bunyan said, they are considerably tumbled up and down in their souls and, and conceive that they conceive that as the Lord their God lives, there's but a step between themselves and eternal death. Oh, blessings on the Lord forever. If any of you are in that condition, here is the mercy. Though this wound is not provided for in any earthly pharmacy, though there be found no physicians who can heal it, yet it says he healeth the broken in heart, bindeth up their wounds. It's a blessing to have a broken heart after all. Again, when a man has a broken heart, he not only feels sorrow for sin but he feels himself utterly unable to get rid of it. He who believes himself able to save himself has never known the meaning of a broken heart. Those who imagine that reformation can atone for the past or secure righteousness for the future are not yet savingly brought to know themselves. No, my friends, we must be humbled in the dust and made to look for all in Christ, or else we shall be deceived after all. But are you driven out of yourself? Are you like the wounded soldier crying for someone else to carry you to the hospital of mercy? Longing for the aid of a mightier than yourself? Then be of good cheer. There shall be found a great deliverance for you. So long as you trusted ceremonies, prayers, or good works, you shall not find eternal grace. But when stripped of all strength and power, you shall gain a glorious salvation. In the Lord Jesus, if mortality can join the pieces of a broken heart, the cement shall soon cease to bind, and the man shall again be as vile as ever. No, we must have a new heart and a right spirit, or vain will be all our hopes. Need I give any other description of the character that I desire to comfort? I trust you are discovered. Oh, my poor brother! I grieve to see you in distress, but there is pardon through Jesus. There is forgiveness, even for you. What though your sins lie like a millstone on your shoulders, they shall not sink you down to hell. Arise, arise. He, my gracious Lord, calls you. Throw yourself at his feet and lose your griefs in his loving and cheering words. You are saved if you can say, as the poet said, a guilty, weak, and helpless worm on Christ's kind arms, I fall. He is my strength and righteousness, my Jesus and my all? Next time we get together, we'll talk about the great mercy. Talked about the broken heart, now the great mercy next time. That was Charles Spurgeon. You can access this series of messages online, SpurgeonGems.com. Don't put the S in the middle. It's just SpurgeonGems.com. All one long word. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the 25th of April, 2023. Lord willing, we get to talk again real soon. Bye-bye.